Hey, this is The Last Coffee House, and I was just watching Curb Your Enthusiasm. I don't know what kind of priming effect that's going to have on my ability to talk about whatever I'm talking about, so I apologize. <laughs> if I say some curiously embarrassing things and then you hear the Curb music, I'm, I'm sorry. That just might be the effect of it. So we'll see, but today is Sam Harris reading list. We are continuing on The Looming Tower by Lawrence Wright, Al-Qaeda, and The Road to 9-11, and I told you at some point I had two nonfiction books that I was working on one I loved one I hated this is the one I loved I already did the one I hated it is just all around quality and for more than just the plain old contents of the book it was published in 2006 it won the Pulitzer Prize it's actually got a new show like a drama that is coming out now in 2019 <laughs> or 2008, I think 2019, that's based on the book, which is a little odd, but uh, whatever the case, it's just very well put together. It's about all the details about the major players leading up to 9-11, and most importantly, and why it's more significant than just kind of the limited scope of what it's looking at. It was back when journalism was real. <laughs> when, like, the writer takes serious pains to make sure that he's not making moral judgments on whatever's he's reporting on and does an excellent job pulling out details that are fascinating for one that have explanatory power and that are just really important to know about if you're trying to understand what's going on here the author doesn't make it a point to try to either demonize the hijackers of bin laden or demonize the american military or america in general he tries as far as i can tell and i'm not an expert in the area so i couldn't generally criticize that much <laughs> as far as i can tell he tries desperately to be as objective as he can when he's reporting on all these very specific facts around the rise of Al-Qaeda and the attacks of 9-11. So it, it was really fun to read. It was well written. It had an excellent narrative. I thought I read something of Lawrence Wright at some other point that I didn't like at all. But this was just, I mean, it deserved all the accolades that it got. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I know it's, what, 13 years old now? But if you have an interest in this area, then you should, you should check it out. So like I said, it's really well put together narrative. So I don't know if you want to avoid being spoiled you know if you can get this book or get it on audiobook or something like that i would definitely recommend it if you have any interest in this area i'm gonna go through a lot of the, kind of the cooler facts that he comes out with so if you want to avoid that you know go read it first but otherwise i'm just gonna race on down so like i said tracks the rise of al-qaeda and bin laden it started with 93 members it's amazing <laughs> there's one of the phrases associated with that i know sam harris he brings up a lot that uh we love death more than the infidel loves life as a motivating idea. There was an early austere religious scholar. <laughs> It's amazing, that phrase now. But, so there was one who was a religious scholar who was kind of one of the major leading figures in the beginnings. I think his name is Qutib or something like that. I, I can't, I can't pronounce things. You know, he was in prison, in prison in Egypt. He had, there was a documented history of trouble with relationships with women. He had this funny, hostile description of American football. <laughs> And I can't, like, you have to, I can't remember all the details of it, but it made me laugh. There's an attempted assassination of Nasser. This guy, Qutib or whatever, was sentenced to life, and his prison sentence was reduced to his ill health. And this is where he wrote, as so often happens, what else are you going to do? He wrote The Shade of the Quran in the prison hospital, which was kind of the a major early treatise, which had some ideas about a Muslim giving his head. It's finally time for a Muslim to give his head for the movement. He was hanged in 1966, so 
this is just one of the major steps. There's Zawari in Egypt, and we had, oh, the intervening seven-day war with Israel, which is a huge, important event in history. Because one of the things that you'll see throughout is the theme of humiliation. And it's, to some degree, like, emotionally understandable. Obviously, it's annoying, because people should just get over it. But this theme of humiliation is a motivating factor for many people over a long period of time. And it was done so quickly. I remember reading, I think I mentioned it before, Epic Encounters when I was an undergrad that talked about how United States likely, or part of the reason that United States allied itself with Israel was because it established its virility so formidably in the Seven Day War. <laughs> And so that was one of the reasons that the United States, after having suffered so much in Vietnam, it wanted to establish, reestablish that virility. But so Israel and defending itself, dominant win, you know, not since the Ulm Austerlitz campaign was anybody so dominant. <laughs> And so there's this theme of humiliation that just went through. And then there's the Sadat assassination, major reason of which was because he recognized Israel as a state. So seeds sown at this point. Uh, Zawari went to jail. He's released and went back to his surgical practice. Uh, but he certainly wasn't done. Then we, we talk about bin Laden's father, how he's illiterate, but he had this major construction company. He bailed out the Saudi government at various times. And it's so funny to see this because it's like it had to start with this sub straight you know bin laden himself had to start with the substrate of having this kind of <laughs> wealth so that he could start dealing with all these other things as opposed to just putting food on the table or whatever but his father you know he built roads in saudi arabia he had four wives 54 children with 22 wives over his lifetime i think osama was number 17 of the children jesus and you wonder what whether uh disengagement with the children between the father you know and the children whether that has some kind of a psychological impact and that's not to undermine because i'm absolutely with sam harris on this point when it comes to bad ideas being motivating factors important and motivating factors that need to be attacked and you can't just blame because then it's it's reducted to nothing it's philosophical zero as i talked about in another episode where you say on one side nothing means anything and on the other side well i'm just adding these things together and saying it means something so in this case though it is important to criticize bad ideas and undermine them wherever you find them and just saying that oh a terrorist happened to be you know sad or something like that or he couldn't get a girlfriend that's not exculpating in the way that people try to make it out to be but anyway so he would bin Laden's father he'd marry off his exes to employees he said that four wives was perfect and he had this analogy of walking his one wife running his two wives there's the tricycle with three wives but there's a car with four wives with four wives you can really go <laughs> So, all right. So he bought an apartment building. I kind of like this. He bought an apartment building, put up his his family, <laughs> all of his families, just plug them into an apartment building. We talk about uh, there's Prince Turkey, who's an important player as it goes along. And like I said, part of this narrative is it'll introduce these players without demonstrating or establishing what their role will be eventually. But it'll give you good background on them. It's, it's really well told. So we've got Prince Turkey. He went to school with Bill Clinton. And he was despondent after Israel won. But he'll have regular kind of contact and presence when it comes to the United States and the United States investigating all this terrorist stuff and all that. Uh, there's 
there's this statement, I don't know who made it, but the, this idea of jihad against the Soviet, Soviets in Afghanistan, of course this is a major historical event, the Soviets invading Afghanistan, <laughs> turning into their own Vietnam. But it's like, if you ignore that, if you don't engage in jihad against the Soviets, then it's like walking past a drowning child. So that's serious. That's like putting it in such a frame that it's like, you have to all the time be doing it. You have to be working on this. At this time, there's a lot of American business in Saudi Arabia, and there's a developing interdependence between the Saudi Arabian government and the United States, which caused a lot of rancor between Saudi Arabian royalty and a lot of the powerful Saudi Arabians like the, you know, Bin Laden and other austere religious types. So they weren't, they weren't happy about it. Then we have Iraq invading Kuwait. Uh, and this is a big moment because Bin Laden, this is the younger Bin Laden, tried to prevent any U.S. involvement. He tried to undermine it. And he even came up with like his own ideas on on how to deal with it to try to keep the United States out but it didn't work US eventually went in and eventually established bases and all that sort of stuff there's the blind sheik another important character he he just walked into the CIA this is a story about him walking into the CIA trying to get a job with them he's like ah I've got information I can help you out he's trying to be a double agent he was planted into a mosque and he immediately told <laughs> the leader of the mosque that he was working with the CIA and it turned out the leader of the mosque was a CIA plant so they told the leader of the mosque told the CIA and they're like okay well so the blind sheik you're not a you're not a great <laughs> great agent for us so it's good to know that our our shifty intelligence communities at least has that much wherewithal at least <laughs> <laughs> but he kept trying to get recruited by American intelligence, so it's it's kind of funny. Then there's the whole downing of the American helicopters in Mogadishu, the movie Black Hawk Down with the horrible Josh Hartnett. <laughs> I just, oh, he's so terrible. He ruined a Brian De Palma movie. How do you do that? But he was in that movie. It was a decent movie, actually. But it's about the helicopters got down in Mogadishu. Uh, apparently, Clinton just withdrew. It was like a middle of an election or something like that. It seemed to be a repeated theme, too, of Clinton not really stepping in where he needed to step in. There are at least two instances of major attacks that he didn't do anything about, which is surprising. At a certain point, the Saudis cut off Bin Laden. There were, he was like involved in some attacks. He wouldn't renounce violence to this journalist. And there's a scene of him being kind of followed around them by this journalist. And the journalist keeps asking, he's like trying to help. He's like, just renounce violence and then we'll, we can move along here. But he wouldn't do it. So Saudis cut off all ties and they, uh, he had to sell all of his property and his businesses and all that stuff for like pennies on the dollar and had to move to where to go, Pakistan or Afghanistan at this point. But he had to move. Uh, there's this idea of rendition. Wasn't there a movie about that? Yeah, but rendition is where you send your prisoners to another country that doesn't have rules against torture so you can torture them there and then huge huge maybe the biggest part of this whole story is the conflict between the fbi and the cia uh, the fbi at this time it's trying to work outside of the u.s the cia trying to work inside the u.s and you see it repeatedly that they don't they don't work together they withhold intelligence just out of like rivalry and annoyance between the groups which is really frustrating frustrating. Uh, we've got Mubarak, who's got an iron grip on Egypt at this point. Uh, there were these stories about how the Egyptian government would young terrorist recruits that were working with like Zawar Zawari. I always want to say Zawahiri. I think I've heard it pronounced that, but I think it's Zawari. Anyway, so he'd take these drugs. He'd take all these compromising pictures of them, of people doing things to them, and then he would use that as leverage to get these kids to work with the government. Ridiculous. Oh my gosh. But then Zawari would just had the kids shot. He didn't have to worry about it. I mean, it 
was crazy times, crazy times I have to deal with that stuff. There's this kind of intellectual movement at the time to separate suicide from martyrdom. And that could have come earlier. I can't remember what the timeline was for that idea, but there's there's this conscious effort to separate because suicide was wrong, but martyrdom is right. It's like the best thing you can do. And this is something that had to develop over time, an idea that had to be better delineated for times of war. You know, not to say that it's not necessarily in, at least as, as far as I know, implied in the Quran and explicit in the Hadith, but this is something that had to be done. And I'm going to do, at some point, I'm going to read the Quran, I'm going to do an episode on it, so we'll we'll know then. But from what I know, I mean, just generically, I think that's how it how it is. Anyway, then we get, we've got, oh yeah, Taliban era in one area that just upended society. It said women, women shouldn't go outside. Women had jobs at this point, and they said that women couldn't work, so they just took them out of the jobs. There's this point where they raided the zoo, just ridiculous animals. They... They raided the zoo. They cut off a bear's nose. Uh, one guy jumped in with a lion, and the lion killed him. And they threw, like, these grenades in there. Like, stun grenades or something like that. But it blinded the lion. So, they, And one of the things that the book says, the only thing left in the zoo was the noseless, the noseless bear, a blind lion, and two wolves. And there's just something about that imagery. That's all that's left, you know, when uncivilized animals meet <laughs> domesticated animal nature. I don't I don't know, there's something about that overlap and that conflict between them but it's just it's a sad thing to think about but now you've got the presence of troops in Saudi Arabia so a lot of religious people are not happy about that bin Laden now has re- relocated to caves and he's really anti-modern in his rhetoric but he's got like computers and all sorts of other stuff Sharia judges at this point they can just throw out any evidence they feel like throwing out which is crazy to me there's a lot of anti-Saudi royal fa- family sentiment that's growing in at this time and now bin laden's assertion and this is one of the things because his motivations as it went over time he didn't just start out like america did a horrible thing so now let's go after america he started out thinking how do i go after america what are my almost rationalizations i won't say complete rationalizations because i'm sure there were valid reasons to go after america but he was like searching for reasons to be able to do this and it kept escalating so eventually it became the u.s must withdraw from the arabian arabian peninsula and every other Muslim country and Muslim area and his only objectives he became obsessed like about the United States period instead of kind of a broader sense of this is where we need to be religiously uh there was an attempt there were like inner workings of arresting bin Laden in the early 90s if they could tie al-Qaeda to this these American deaths in this one area but it didn't happen like they couldn't do it so they called it off there's the Clinton I don't know how I missed this stuff during the Clinton years I mean I was a kid but still it's there was uh, a Clinton attack on a Sudanese medical facility that's just horrible. I guess they had intelligence that it was supposed to be some kind of a terrorist camp or something like that, but it turned out to just be a medical facility. Then at one point there's the agent in charge of trying to get Al-Qaeda and Bin Laden and that stuff, or Zawahiri and Mujahid, I don't know who was there. (laughs) But there's this impending attack on their camp, but it got pulled at the last second and it made the agent really mad. And there are these details about their, their camps, and there's like a boot camp, 180-page manual about it. There's basic military training. The enemies that they reference are heretics, the Shia, and America and Israel. So those are the who they're looking at. Then we we get introduced to O'Neill. He worked for one of the intelligence agencies. I think he was domestic. I think he was FBI. Uh, but he had like women all over the place, and he had like these multiple families go. He tell this one woman, "I'm gonna marry you," and then <laughs> he go back to his wife, then tell another woman, "I'm gonna marry you," and oh uh, yeah. It'll 
be, you know, next time. But it's just because he was in the CIA or the FBI or whatever, he could kind of get away with really late nights and coming home the next morning and all sorts of stuff. Anyway, one of the women he was out with and his car broke down, but he was near a stashed car that he had. And so he used the company stashed car and then he the woman had to go to the bathroom. So he took her to the CIA and this was a like headquarters that was near there and let her in to use the bathroom. And this was like a, a big scandal. <laughs> he shouldn't do that. All sorts. Of, there's so much good information in this. Oh my gosh, so much good information. But so we're following O'Neill through this part. There's also another plan, not just to hijack the planes and run them into the buildings. There's a plan to that was proffered to hijack the plane, kill the men, land the plane, let the women and children off. So it's weird. Sears Tower in Chicago were also discussed as targets. Like I said, it was all FBI versus CIA at this point. That was just incredibly frustrating because the CIA would have all this information that would be extremely helpful against preventing domestic attacks. I think O'Neill was FBI, uh, but preventing domestic attacks. And they had information that the hijackers arrived 19 months before 9-11 happened. And the CIA just withheld the information for like internal competitive reasons between the agencies. Uh, we've got the USS Cole attack where 17 died and then money came flowing into Bin Laden at this point. He was struggling pretty seriously, but then money came flowing. This is in the middle of a Clinton election. So he made no response related to the USS Cole attack. And there's a great description of the Cole itself. And it turns out that the op, the final op was called the Big Wedding for from Bin Laden and Al-Qaeda. That's what they called it. O'Neill ended up reassigned. So he's working on something else at the time. And there's a quote about wherever you are, death will find you, even in the looming tower. And I can't remember what that was from, but it, I think it was something that O'Neill found that he was like reading this poem or, or short story or something like that. And he just like burst into tears when he was reading it. And then we have the day of the, the attack, the great description of the day of the attack that's tad heart wrenching so wow there's just so there's a lot there's a lot going on here and i know it was a significant period you know it was a long time ago who knows if anybody cares at this point especially i don't know what the hell like people don't even seem interested in history anymore they seem like they're in this haze like we're in this american post-history haze where we just don't care about anything and don't know what to do now <laughs> like we just we're not sure what what the progress would even look like anymore so we're trying to pull all these monsters out of the air and say that we need to work on it it's it's really frustrating i don't even know what people's motivations are anymore we used to have some clear roads you know about getting a family and being good to your kids and being good to other people and working hard and that kind of thing but it doesn't even seem like that's what we're about and especially when it comes to journalism it seems like it's it's just a dead art something that used to be foundational to our democracy is just crumbling at all points of contact and it's really sad to see it's really frustrating and there's not i don't know what to do about it it's just it seems like it's just all up in the air right now and so i mean i'm doing my best i'm, I'm trying to provide information and rein people in about pretending that they know things for sure and and what they know and how complex topics really are but that's what this book seems more emblematic of sincerity and honesty when it comes to approaching a topic that's controversial that's serious than it even necessarily does 
just explicate some historical event, you know? So it, it means more than that to me, anyway. But even beyond that, it's an excellent narrative. It's a fun read. There's so many great details. It's so interesting to learn about different parts of the world and how complex these things really are rather than just having angels and monsters on either side. It's it's interesting to look at that and to see what was going on <laughs> when it came to our intelligence community at this point. So it's just good. I, I definitely recommend it. It's Sam Harris reading list. I don't know what number we're on, but it's, it's definitely on the Sam Harris reading list. And I don't have, like, there's not a whole lot that I have to criticize about it. It's just, like I said, it gets across what it needs to get across. It has a bunch of great information. It tries its damnedest to be objective about these topics. And even if there's some kind of a, a liberal undercurrent of being overly critical or hostile to the United States, I barely could detect it, if at all. And I genuinely think this person was trying to put together a realistic, engaging account of what happened here. So I just, I really enjoyed it. I'd highly recommend it. It's one of the best things I've read as part of this list. And, you know, maybe I'll have a, a best, maybe at the end of the year, I can do a best of thing or something like that. But anyway, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. Everybody who's actually interested in solidifying this republic before it goes off a cliff here. I really appreciate you. <laughs> you might not feel like it when you get demonized for questioning dogma in social situations, but I certainly appreciate it. And I'm going to keep fighting for it, you know, no matter what else happens. So this is the last coffee house. I Okay, have, have a good one. Have a good one. All right, bye. Thank you.